Welcome everyone and this is the fourth in our series of Thrive London Good Thinking podcasts. My name is Tracy Parr and I'm the Director of Good Thinking which is London's Digital Mental Health and Wellbeing Service. We are producing these podcasts in response to the extraordinary times in which we find ourselves in order to give some different perspectives which we hope will be helpful for listeners and in order to direct people to some of our resources, which we've developed specially on the Good Thinking website. In this fourth podcast, Good Thinking's clinical director, psychiatrist, Dr. Richard Graham, will be in discussion with Catherine Davies, who is the head of learning for Global Communications at Procter & Gamble. She's going to explain how they have a really dispersed workforce and what the opportunities and challenges of the current coronavirus situation have brought. So thank you very much, Catherine, and over to Richard. Thank you, Tracy, And again, thank you, Catherine, for giving us some of your time at what must be one of the most frantic periods of your working life to date. Just to set the scene, because this is going to be really important for all sorts of employers to hear your insights. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Procter & Gamble, what sort of a company you are, what size you are, where yes. your workforce may be located? Yes, absolutely. So you may not know the name Procter & Gamble, but you'll certainly uh, walk around your kitchen and bathroom and you'll find us everywhere, Richard. So we're brands like Fairy, Gillette, Olay. Ariel and I've worked in my time a lot on the beauty brands like Pantene and we make Pampers, Oral-B, toothbrushes, those kind of things and we work all over the world but we've also got a big operation here in the UK. So many of our listeners will be very familiar with your end products but as you say perhaps don't know all the industry that goes on behind those products. So you're working with a workforce that is located across the world most of the time? Absolutely. In fact, I'm very fortunate, Richard. I've got a team of 500 people that are really across the world. So they're in 150 countries, believe it or not. Wow. We're used to working working virtually, but now is a very different feel because not only those people, you know, working virtually as in we're trying to create virtual teams, but they're working from home virtually, which is a completely different spin. Absolutely. And it's something that many people are now are being sort of challenged by or confronted by as they're suddenly being asked to work from home without probably the many years of experience you have in terms of understanding how to do that well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we've got 25,000 people at the moment uh, working from home that we think. So obviously people in our factories and our distribution centres are still working in their normal place of life. But otherwise, we are working from the kitchens and bathrooms where our products are. So we're pretty close to our own supply line. Uh, so that's quite a challenge. But I'm very, I'm very lucky, really, Richard, because I've worked from home for 10 years. So I've got a bit of a head start. But, but even for me, it's a real challenge because I would normally be starting the day talking to my Asian colleagues in, in China and Japan. And then I would move to my European colleagues and then I'd have a break and go and join my dance aerobics class. And of course, that's what I'm not doing anymore. Right. So even those people who are used to working from home are having to adapt to very different routines and, and new restrictions. Just to help our listeners understand some of the major differences between working in an office or organization away from home and delivering most of your work from your home, what for you would be the key differences? 
Uh, well, one of the things is that when you work from an office, you have all this kind of the clues that come from seeing the physical body language of your colleagues. You can react to things very, very fast. We're having to read all those things from screens now. So that's one big thing that's different. One of the other big things is the structure. You know, normally you have a working day that begins and ends in a way that you have all those cues, mm -hmm. you know, like people start getting up and going to the water cooler and ask if they can bring you a coffee. And, you know, all those things are obviously feeling very different. So we're all having to create our own rhythms. And so I think that's one of the very, very big differences. Mm. But I think you make a really interesting point that in a way we're all sort of, I don't know what the right phrase would be, partially sighted when working remotely because we can't sort of see our colleagues and our friends or in terms of how they are, their mood, their activities, when they may be going to get a coffee where you might join them you're having to fill in lots of those gaps, which in itself can bring an extra sort of workload, I guess, to the working day. Yes, you're, you're really right. Some of those calls, they're really intense, aren't they? They're more intense than you imagine they would be. One of the things that we know is that the way teams are most productive is when they trust each other and when they feel mm -hmm. safe. And what I'm discovering with my team, Richard, is that I'm trying to make them feel safe while their kids and dogs are tootling in and out of the background or when they have yeah. incoming calls or when they've just finished. I mean, what happened this morning, one of my colleagues had spent two hours trying to get her elderly relatives understand the Internet sufficiently to do a Zoom call for a birthday. So you know, these mm -hmm. things, what we've got to understand is that people's bandwidth is really restricted. You know, they're, they're under stress and you've still got to make them feel safe and you've got to make them feel that they can contribute. So that's a real challenge. And I think you're highlighting, again, another sort of important, but perhaps not well-known problem, although all of us are living with this, which is when you're in the office, you're not so accessible. I mean, you may receive yeah. calls from family, yeah. partners, etc. But when you're at home, I mean, to explain to an older person or a, a very young person, for that matter, that you're now busy at work when you're still sat at the same table or desk as you were a few moments ago. And so it's not just disorientating for ourselves, but actually for those around us as well. Oh, you're so right. I mean, I find that isn't just with little children, it's with bigger children. I'm, <laughs> I've got an adult child now living with us back from uni. What, what we've discovered is that we have to be very structured in our day. So Alice and I today at five o'clock, we're doing our daily cycle ride. And she knows that's our time. And I know that's our time. And that means that mm. when I've got calls, which I've had today at nine, 10, 11 and 12, that I can say to her, no, I'm not available then, but I am available then. So what we try and encourage with our employees is that we really try and create structures and get people yeah. to communicate when they're free and when they're not free so that nobody feels rejected. I think that's absolutely spot on. And it strikes me that if you don't do that, some of the tensions that could arise at home in this period of isolation and lockdown that many people are living through is that you inadvertently stir feelings of jealousy where you, know, you don't really understand who mum or dad or husband, wife, partner are engaged with or why they're, they're doing it because they're there and why aren't they paying you that attention? So it's a really good point about the rejection that might sort of come from not really explaining exactly what the structures and times are. And when you talk about jealousy, I regard that too, because you know, you're know you singing to people's homes, so you might be looking into someone's home and they've 
got a gorgeous back garden and you're stuck in a flat where you've got four children and one living space. And so we're really careful when we give instructions on kind of workplace. So we're trying to help people create workplaces so that they can be safe themselves and and be able to start and end the day. But we recognise that some people have got a spare study Some people are having to put a chair in the bathroom because that is the space that they can have for that period. And they're tag teaming with a partner on childcare. So we're trying to be we're trying to be really human. And do you know what? Being really human has huge advantages because as the professional and the personal lines blur, you can get to the best of people because you understand them as individuals and you understand the wonderful kind of diversity that you've got and everyone's different that means that they all have different ways of looking at the world and that's a real gift so we're really trying to find the positive in all that that's a really interesting point and it reminds me that in health there's often been a view that we've lost something along the way when doctors and nurses stopped doing or reduced the number of home visits they did because when you go into someone's home which of course any webcam can kind of do for you You do get to know people in a way that you won't if you're seeing them outside of there, where they may be trying to fit in with you rather than you really see the world that they inhabit. Oh, you're so right. It's that kind of professional versus personal persona, isn't it? Mm. I was talking to my boss, Jamie, the other day. He was streaming live from Cincinnati in Ohio, so way over the pond. And behind him, I could see all his superhero figures. He'd got kind of all these Marvel (laughs) figures. You know, my, my boss is from the Philippines. He's a very professional person. He's a very warm person I like him very much I certainly never knew that he collected superhero figures and so there was this sort of wonderful connection and he was pulling my leg because of course I love history so I've got a wall chart of the monarchs of England I'm trying to sort of learn their different (laughs) dates and so he was gently pulling my leg and I think that you know we talked at the beginning about creating safe spaces and as you enable people to lift the mask and show themselves a bit more that's just hugely important and we found that people who are maybe more introverted, they're loving this time. They're coming up with ideas, they're sharing, uh, they're feeling not threatened, they're feeling secure, they're feeling listened to. So the introverts are loving it, the extroverts are maybe struggling a bit more. And for them, we've started our virtual socialising. And, uh, and I can mm-hmm. tell you about that if you want to know more. But that's for me, that's a lifeline, I've got to say. I think one of the things you're highlighting is there are plenty of opportunities that come with this new way of working, which is really, it's gone global, hasn't it, pretty Mm -hmm. much, that the the worker can actually have quite a lot of control over what they show or not and Mm -hmm. and so on. And, you know, like your your boss with the Marvel figures, I guess he could have found a way of blurring his background or doing something where that wasn't so visible. But it's quite a nice way of him sharing a side of himself that you may not have seen. But there are still gaps, as you say, and for the people who really like the social aspects of work and and being part of a team, how can we fill in some of the gaps that inevitably come? Because no matter how great the tech, there are still things that are a bit less engaging than what you'd get from being sort of with a person in person. Absolutely. And you know the proverb, good fences make good neighbours. And we believe structure is really important. P&G is a very kind of Mm -hmm. data-driven and structured company. So we try to create structure. So we have moments when we have very clear goals, we have clear objectives each day, and our bosses are really encouraging us to prioritize. So at a time when when your productivity is under strain, because you've got to look after your auntie, you've got to look after your teenage child, you've got to walk the dog, you're worried about whether you're going to get enough food to feed tonight. You know, at times like that, you've got to know what your priorities are. So 
we're rigorously focusing down on our priorities and creating structure that way. So we're encouraging people every day to think, what are the three things that I want to achieve for work today? What are the three things I want to achieve for my household today? And to think in those terms. Mm-hmm. And those presumably are real priorities. It's not just a sort of a cynically well-being initiative, which, you know, is put your goals down, but actually we want you to work very hard because one of the things people struggle with is that balance with Mm. the rest of their life. So it's really nice that you're capturing that with these goals that they're setting for themselves. Yes, it's suddenly become so real, isn't it? I mean, if you told me that I was going to be doing a 9.15 mindfulness course or together with my whole UK team that we would be ringing in and that one of our number who happens to be a really well-trained in this area is leading us through a mindfulness, I would have fallen off my chair. I mean, the idea that I would want to do that with my ambitious, hardworking colleagues, you know, but I'm finding that a lifeline because what she does is she just, we meet at 9.15 in the morning, she talks us through a simple kind of body scan and it gives us the mental clarity for the day and in fact it's so popular that we've now just started a new one that's going to be in the afternoon so that our product supply people can join because they were all on shift at 9.15 so again it's trying to think about who's available when trying to be very very flexible with how you reach out to people and I'm doing one of one of my pieces of work I do is is global learning so uh, I've got huge advantages because I've got this audience of people who are looking for kind of online resources well, one last Wednesday, we interviewed our Gillette vice president, talking to him about how he was brave in terms of leading with his values and, and his leadership perspective. And uh, we had 500 people log in. Now, normally people would be really struggling to make time for that within their daily schedule. But people are more willing to have online resources. They're looking for those connections. Sure. But I think going back to the mindfulness, it reminds me over the past year, we've done a lot of work with community managers running large communities and sometimes Facebook Mm. groups and we're all working from home Mm. again. And they really struggle with self-care in terms of making sure they do the things both their body and their minds need. Mm. And I think bit by bit, we were coming to the conclusion, as I think has been said in other parts of the world, that self-care now is probably a professional skill that you need to develop. Mm. Because otherwise, if you treat yourself as if you are a piece of technology, a machine, that will ultimately end up with burnout, with chronic stress, whatever the the words. And so self-care isn't a soft, fluffy thing that involves scented candles, (laughs) but something as important as food and water for your body. Yeah, you know, definitely. And this idea of keeping safe is key to us at P&G. I mean, keeping our employees safe. And then, of course, the safety of everyone who buys our products and then the safety and well-being of the communities in which we operate. And those are the three clusters in which we work. And on that last one, the communities in which we operate, one of the things that's part of well-being is thinking that you're doing something worthwhile. And, you know, when I left uni and joined P&G 30 years ago now, I mean, some of my colleagues were doing much more erudite things. And they said, why do you want to work for a company that makes, you know, fairy liquid and Olay? And I just said, I want to do something ordinary that, that touches people's lives and do it well. And, that, you know, that's just kind of my personality. And now I'm so grateful because my colleagues and I really mm-hmm. do feel that we're linked into the purpose of something bigger because people's lives are made better by having good products that work well at reasonable prices. And that makes their life better. And frankly, that's an important purpose. And that makes us feel that we are connected to something worthwhile. And everyone in life needs that. 
I think that's absolutely right. And again, if you don't have those connections, either with some of the senior parts of, of the business or with each other, then it's possible to sort of feel a bit adrift and not get that feedback and that understanding of how you are contributing. That's really good for your well-being and, and mental health. Yes. And that what you're contributing is not a kind of, how's your spreadsheet doing today? So coming yeah. back to the structure, which one of the things that we're doing at the beginning of every meeting is even though we've created a structure where that was the virtual socialising hour, this is the work hour. Even within the work hour, the work hour meetings, we're really finding the need to check in with people that how are you doing, what are you mm-hmm. doing? And people are sharing things about themselves which make them potentially very vulnerable. You know, they've lost relatives. You know? mm-hmm. And people who would normally sort of move straight on to the next item on the agenda, on the business agenda, we're finding that we need to ask each other, how are you coping, how are you doing? And then having left time for that, it's also then a relief to move on to the business pieces because the business pieces are also a good way of us focusing on other things and they take us away from it. So it's getting the right balance between being very human and then being very business orientated and that's a skill. I, I think so and again not to be underestimated by any means we've been promoting an idea that when there are so many worries surrounding us where you might sort of drown in the worries in your Mm. mind if they get out Mm. of control, that one of the things that can really help during periods of crisis is to focus on something that you can do, where you have influence, where you can see the end result, get that feeling of achievement, perhaps even reward sometimes. And Mm. it really doesn't matter how big or small it is. I mean, probably better it is smaller. If you can do that with your team so they can feel it's not just a sense of purpose, that they make a difference through their own agency, Mm. then they're going to have a sense that the world is not spinning completely out of control and they can do something to make a difference. Yes, I mean, that rings a bell with a project that we're doing at the moment. We've called it The New Us. So we had a really big meeting that we were all looking forward to at the end of April where we were going to be together with 120 of us. It was going to be live. We were so looking forward to, you know, we'd literally designed the chocolate centrepieces in the table. You know, we'd organised an affirmation tree where people were going to write nice things about people and hang them on the tree. You know, it was all based on human interaction. And then within that, we were dividing into two-hour sort of content pieces. That's gone. And there's a sort of grief that we won't be meeting. And so what Shirelli is a brilliant member of my team. She's from Venezuela. She's got huge heart. And she's created this phrase, the new us. So she says, Catherine, you know, who is the new us? What does the new us look like? And, and she's helping us work out what is the new us and how do we work. And that is a very tangible project that all five of my team members are working on. So how does their content, which was going to be live and in real time, How does it transfer to being virtual content? How are they going to make it come alive? How are they going to make that engaging with other people? And even when we do come back, you know, I know this from my colleagues in Guangzhou and in Beijing, they're working from the office again, Richard, but they're keeping this two meter distance. So we're not going to be doing that kind of huggy kind of wonderful to see you again. It's different. So we've got to think of other ways. And so, calling it the new us, giving it this project. And then what we've done is we've called out every member of our team who's got something they can offer. So Trisha is one of those people who she manages our social media. So she's hugely grounded, mm-hmm. you know, her feet are on the ground. So she's got brilliant common sense. So she's helping us keep common sense. Shirelli's got this great heart, so she's helping it be really warm. Bilal comes from Pakistan and he's got this fantastic gift of being connected to the global world. So he's making sure that it's inclusive and diverse. So everyone's got different mm-hmm. gifts and everyone's tackling this project with their specific way of looking and way of working. 
Indeed, but you also remind me of something someone said a few days ago, reminding us of that extraordinary turbulent period after the Second World War, where Stephen Sondheim, I believe it was, was writing words for Leonard Bernstein, and the person we were talking to quoted that line from the song somewhere, we'll find a new way of living. And it felt really right for the moment that we do have to hold on to our values, but we do need to find that new way of living whatever it means, whether it's to protect ourselves from infection or jealousy or perhaps not always having as much as we'd like, whether that's space or food or toiletries. But nonetheless, we need to find a way. And it's a really hopeful, aspirational sentiment that your team seem to be embracing. Well, I think that, you know, I don't want to sound too Pollyanna-ish. I mean, some of us, we have but we have good days and bad days. I think that some days yep. we wake up and we're, you know, we're not feeling on fire. And but then there's someone else in our team who is. And I think we we do lean on each other. So we have our 10:30 virtual coffee. What I've noticed with that is that sometimes people are really with it, and some people aren't. And then we can be forgiving of each other. And in our new way of working, we can accept that everyone is not on stream all the time. And I tell you what really yep. helps there: children and dogs. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we, we did a day where we, we started our virtual socializing. Everyone had to bring their favorite headgear. And one of my team was wearing her two year old son on her head and another was wearing a swimming cap. And, uh, you know, so we, we, we recognize that we can't all be upbeat all the time and that sometimes you're up to doing something yeah. silly and sometimes you're not up to. But we are forgiving of each other and recognizing that we can't all be where we need to be all the time. We just have to learn the new reality is about accepting that we're imperfect. And I I remember when I first had children, I was so grateful to hear people talk about the good enough parent. And what we're learning is we can be the good enough employee. We're focusing on the things that we really need to get done. We're respecting each other. And within it, we are focusing on the outputs whilst recognizing that how we do it is equally important. Yes. And I guess in your role in relation to learning, again, learning is sometimes uncomfortable and the mistakes and sort of problems along the way are often as instructive as those moments where everything falls into place and you feel you understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose as you get older, those become <laughs> a little less frequent. But um, it has to be that oh, way, doesn't it, if it's going to be a We had a brilliant mindfulness session there earlier this week when we were trying to work out how to put people on mute and then someone obviously wasn't on mute and, and I could hear this wonderful voice saying, hey, I've got a fresh loaf, I've got a fresh loaf. And we were all, <laughs> instead of thinking, oh, that's really annoying, you know, we were kind of celebrating with her that she'd got a fresh loaf of bread. So we have to learn to be forgiving of each other. I mean, we're right at the beginning, aren't we? We're on week one. And I mean, maybe you and I speak together yeah. in week three and find that the cracks are beginning to open. But trying to create the principles whereby you create structure in your day, we create structure in our workplace, we make virtual meetings feel safe and secure, we are forgiving of each other, we make well-being a real pillar of our day, and that we remember that what we do is important. Those are the principles that we've set up, and we hope that even when we come more under strain, Richard, that we can revert to those. I'd just like to ask for your thoughts on on a particular challenge given that you've got people working you i mean you've listed some of the countries from venezuela to to pakistan that your team and on the philippines that, that your teams are working across because we 
have found in our work, and I think it's also been highlighted in, in studies looking back on past pandemics, that one of the things that can be really difficult to maintain that's so critical for your well-being is a good yeah. night's sleep. And when you're working across time zones, as well as the sort of waterfall of, of demands and emails that might yeah. be reaching you, how do you help your teams with some of those aspects of, of their lives? Well, those things are things that we've been coping with, obviously, well before this pandemic started. First of all, I'm incredibly privileged. I work in GMT. I'm so fortunate. So we're, we're in the kind of middle of the world. But what we really do yeah. is what we recognise is that that 12 noon to 1 o'clock period is really, really crucial because it's not too late in Asia and it's not too early in the USA and it's bearable for Europe. So the middle of the day is really important. So that kind of is the window for us. And what we recognize is that once one, two o'clock comes, US is full on stream. So I think when we're trying to organize our meetings, we try to be uh, if we're doing something on learning and it's really something that is important to go on live, we might do it twice. We might do it once in the morning for our European and Asian colleagues and we might do it once in the evening for our other mm. colleagues. So we, we might actually do things twice. Otherwise, we record uh -huh. a lot of things so that people can listen to them remotely in times of their own choosing so that that's more relaxing. And then we try to be really disciplined in terms of pre-work, sending out agendas so that you're respectful of people's time. I mean, you know, we all know the dangers of being in meetings that drag on because people don't have homes to go to and we don't allow ourselves that luxury at PG. Yeah. We're usually pretty tight on our agendas and that respects people's time. So time management itself is quite a criticism. We talked about making time to acknowledge the fact that we're all facing our difficulties. So we'll timetable that in. Uh, mm. I mean, if we've got a one-hour meeting, that first, you know, whatever we think's right, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, that is set aside for that and it's named as that time because otherwise we squeeze it and it will get missing. And so that kind of timekeeping is important to us. One of the other things that we're increasingly sort of preoccupied with is also making sure people step outside once at least a day or a number of times a day. It may not be easy for some people when they're in a flat uh, that's in a block that makes it hard to get out. But I think our understanding of the body clock and how light kind of refreshes that is, is also proving to be a really useful yeah, tip. And and for so, physical well-being, where do you sit? I mean, we really want our people to be sitting comfortably. Yeah. We want them stretching regularly. We want them to both feel responsible for themselves, but feel that we're giving them the tools to help them do that. So that's really important, their, their physical yeah. well-being, that they're drinking yeah. regularly. So what we've said, for example, is instead of singing happy birthday and then feeling we're getting aged all the time, while we do that, we're thinking of three things we're grateful for while we're counting our 20 seconds or every time we wipe down you know pick up the flash wipe and wipe the surface we might take a glass of water mm -hmm. so we're trying to encourage habits that that lead to yeah, physical yeah. well-being and we're i think our next team meeting i think we're doing the joe wilts together oh, we'll all okay. be jumping up and down doing that which i love yeah. i think he's just amazing yeah. so that's true yeah well, I think we could probably talk for much, much longer about all these wonderful initiatives you've got going on to support your workforce and keep them connected and also feeling valued and supported. But I think as we're edging towards the end, I need to squeeze in a couple of things that have started to become yeah. a, a habit for yeah. us. <laughs> Whether they're healthy, only yeah. time will tell. So it's really to allow our listeners to get to know you as yes. a person a bit more. And the first one is... If you're going into a situation of isolation yes. or, or lockdown, 
which three famous or mm. prominent people, if you could, you'd like to be oh, in, in there with you? With. Oh, I've just mentioned him, but am I allowed to bring in Joe? Yeah, I think he, he ticks think both of those boxes. He's he, prominent he's and famous. Really, yeah, really. Uh, I'd love to have him. Am I not allowed my husband? We'll assume that you might have him there with you, unless um, there's going to be a speedy divorce or separation, <laughs> which uh, I, I suspect okay. not. So, yeah, he, he'll be there and you can do your Joe okay. Wicks routine. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going to invite the FT columnist Lucy Kellaway to join me, if I may. She's okay. such an iconoclast. She's always got such a kind of strange view of the world and she makes me laugh. So I'm going to invite Lucy Kellaway with me. I don't know if people have to be alive or dead. Am I allowed? No, you, you can have anybody across the, the oh, course of human really? history. Well, I've always wanted to meet a particular sculptor who does the most beautiful human figures. He lived about 500 years ago. He's a German sculptor. His name is mm -hmm. Tillman Riemenschneider. He works in Limewood, and he does these beautiful, expressive faces, and they're so good at grief and um, love and compassion. And his, his faces just show the myriad of human emotions. He's just spent his time with reflecting on emotion so i would like to invite mr tillman riemann schneider lucy calloway and joe wilkes to my lockdown well if i'm understanding the shrewdness of your choices you've got somebody to help you with body somebody that will help you with sharpness of the mind and someone who would help you yep, with food I think that's for the right. <laughs> <laughs> any media oh, it could be a book music yes. film even play. I've left my poetry bookshelf at home because I'm I'm living with my husband's house at Nottinghamshire at the moment, so I I don't have access to my poetry uh -huh. bookshelf. But what I do have is I have one book called Poem for the Day, and that of course just has this fantastic range of poetry from modern to ancient, and so that would be good. And I I wouldn't actually mind taking my community song book i go to church and sing hymns so i'm missing that so i mean it was quite a laugh hearing me streaming southwark cathedral <laughs> cathedral singing along with the hymns on sunday so i've just texted my friend the dean and i've just said to him you know what what are we doing on sunday mate what are we doing on sunday so i wouldn't mind a hymn book as well as a poetry book okay well i i think if they're slim volumes <laughs> we might let that pass and then finally would there be a luxury, perhaps something from Procter & Gamble? Oh, perhaps? I've got to take my Oral-B toothbrush. There's nothing worse <laughs> than that furry feeling, is there? So I'm going to take my, my lovely Oral-B smart toothbrush, which keeps me going. I love that. So, yeah, I'm going to take my toothbrush and some nice toothpaste. And so even though, um, God, it sounds so trite, but I hope when I, when I keep smiling that I've still got a decent smile to share to the world. Again, it's something for you that's a nice way of looking after yourself and it may make your dentist <laughs> proud if he's listening or she's listening. It is also something that will yeah. make you feel better, yeah. you know, to have that sense of not, as you say, fur, but of something clean and that might even help you enjoy Absolutely. your food more. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for your time. There are so many ideas that hopefully other employers might be able to take in and bring to their own workplaces, even if they're scattered across the homes of the world in the way that your workplace now is. So thank you very much indeed for this. And as you say, we might want to revisit some of these conversations as this extraordinary period continues. And perhaps it won't be quite a, a honeymoon at that point, And we'll all be feeling a bit stir crazy. But for now, I think there's a lot to think about that will help people develop the, their well, own Well, thank you for letting us be with you. you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.